Hi, I'm Victor Milligan, your host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And joining me again as a special co-host is Forrester's head of research, Carrie Johnson. Welcome, Carrie. Thanks, Victor. And joining me on the phone today, I'm very excited to have both Chris Paul, SVP of Advisor and Investor Experiences at LPL Financial. Hi, Victor. And Daniel Petro, Director of Digital Experiences at CIBC. Hello. So in this podcast, we're going to talk a lot about the steps taken as it relates to change. What we see in the marketplace, I mean, Carrie and I, is that our clients, executive leaders and and people in different parts of the organization, they think about the disruption and the change. They start planning for it. They worry about it. But it's been hard to take the big first steps, the big plunge. So what were the drivers for each of you in terms of making changes in your organization? In the last year, the team at LPL has made a transition from the technology side over to the business side. And primarily, we did that to get further upstream on some of the efforts, innovation, strategy efforts, experience efforts generally uh, that the firm is looking to drive. And I think if we think about the larger context there, LPL itself is undergoing a pretty significant transformation around, I'll say, our cultural DNA where we're trying to get much more client-centric, much more focused, not just on the strategy end of those client-centricity, but also on the day-to-day tactical end of that. And so as a part of that, the firm is looking very intently at how do we innovate, how do we ensure that the experiences coming out of our technology team, our business team generally, are, are aligned with what users want, what they need, and how the business evolves. And the best way for us to do that is to put a team of people further upstream to experiment, drive that innovation with members of the technology and business teams. And Daniel, what drove your change? So on my side, I was uh, I was lucky enough to actually come into the organization about a year and a half ago, and there was already a desire to go this direction. Um, now, mind you, the, the driving force around that desire was um, uh, much of what Chris said, is a, a chance to really focus in on our clients and uh, take a different approach on, on how we actually solve for a lot of the solutions that we drive out here. So the effort was to, to um, in the thoughts of bringing, bringing cross-disciplined resources together to solve for client experiences, we'll get a far better product out than we would in more of a waterfall approach on delivering in silos. So the idea was really more of a client focus than anything. Um, always there's a focus on you know, speed to market and, and driving out um, um, you know, quicker and better solutions. But uh, it really was, it was started with a focus on our client and a need to make sure that we're, we're driving out the best experiences we can. One of the things we found in our work with CEOs and some of the, their teams is that they are not close to customer intelligence. They're not close to customer experience. So they design technologies to the best of their abilities, sort of imagining something that they can't see. Um, so was that the impetus to moving upstream was to get it so that there was a, a direct relationship between the customer, their behaviors, whatever insights you might have, and how technology was envisioned and designed? I think for us, Victor, um, when we think about you know, making that change, I mean, certainly that was a piece of it. Um, but honestly, it's always been a part of our function as a design organization to be close to the customer, close to the client, 
and drive out design iterations from insight and feedback that we get. But I think in, you know, I think it really depends on where the organization is and what I'll call the product maturity curve. And so where we are um, here at the firm is in a spot where our ability to drive from those insights and feedback into, I think, enough iterations to make a difference for users was challenged at times based on kind of a project mentality to how we unfolded our funding. And so dollars were anointed and teams started on the same day. And so we felt and have felt a pull for a long time that we have got to get further ahead of that spending cycle and see an investment, a specific investment, further upstream that enables us to to drive into that research and that insight in a way that we can affect multiple iterations of a solution. People are stuck in the annual budgeting cycle, and their and the budgets go to silos or you know functions or products. What they, and some of the project teams are funded only after all the other money is spent. But you 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 guys that you actually got in front of that process was that hard to do? Was that sort of a, a decision the company made? For the most part, it was a decision the company made. I mean, we have under for the last five years have been driving a very significant platform transformation on our technology side. And that has been the, you know, one of the chief focuses of the firm for, again, for the last five years. And so uh, that capital spending process, that budgeting process has been such that it's been focused around, are we driving the dollars in the right way? Do we have the right projects under underway to, you know, achieve those goals that we have for our users and for the firm? And again, as we got into that further, recognizing that there was a need for us to have deeper insights, more client centricity affecting those decisions to really make the development process much more efficient. And if you think about it, there's a lot of efficiency in investing in design and experience up front rather than trying to correct it in version two. And so I think the firm has really begun to hit on its all the cylinders relative to this transformation underway for our culture and how we develop the products that we're pushing out to advisors. You're hinting at speed and being able to move more quickly. Is that what you're seeing or is that expected later? I know that if it is a difference between efficiency and speed, I guess is my point, right? And I presume that is one of the points of launching a customer centric team as well, right? Besides just getting closer to the customers, but being able to do things more quickly. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think there's no doubt that speed is a big part of that. And certainly what I've seen over the last couple of years as this client centricity transformation has gotten further and further up in the minds of our top-level executive team. You know, there's been a expectation of speed that has certainly increased. You know, in some cases exponentially. Right? We want to be better at this stuff today. And so, yes, efficiency is one thing, and sometimes we have to slow down in order to be faster. Um, and you know, I. I certainly do believe that, but I also believe that the right investment further upstream, the ability to have a culture that encourages failing forward and exploring things and driving structured innovation projects and seeing what, you know, what lasts and what floats up to the top, these enable teams then to execute in a much quicker fashion you know, when the decisions are made to go ahead. That's a pretty sophisticated view of speed in my mind. With, with no offense to sort of banking or wealth management, it's not the, not necessarily the industries you think of immediately as fast or thinking about forward upstream failure. Well, I, I think for us, I mean, I, there's no doubt, 
you know, five years ago when I came into the firm, my belief around speed and efficiency and the focus of financial services was a different view than I have today. I think what's made a difference for us most recently has been our CEO is rabid about innovation and speed and his efforts to transform the firm. And so, you know, and he is driving that cultural transformation um, for many respects personally. Uh, and so that has enabled, I think, the rest of the firm to kind of get on board with the urgency associated with that. And it's made moves like what my team did possible and provided us for the support and the air cover that we needed to be successful. I would, uh, I would actually second that. I think it really comes down to the culture that's being created by senior leaders on the team uh, that actually enable decisions like going with an agile model to um, to really happen. I can tell you at CIBC, it, it really stems from um, our, our leaders that actually embrace this type of culture of innovation, of change, of doing things differently that uh, enable us to be able to make the decisions to change how we operate and to start cross-collaborating with teams we wouldn't typically have worked with before to, to solve for, you know, better experiences to our clients. Um, on, on the notion of speed, just going, uh, taking a step back a little bit, um, when I think about Agile and, and how we deliver, it isn't always necessarily about doing things quicker. What it is, what it does enable us to do, though, is pivot. So as things come up and directions need to change and, and strategies have evolved, it allows us to continuously iterate against what it is where we're developing or what it is the direction of an initial project is going and allows us to pivot and change course drastically without incurring uh, multiple rounds of revisions on traditional uh, business requirements documents or anything like that. So it's not so much that we're delivering quicker, it's a lot we're delivering a more refined and specific solution by the time it goes out. I think to, to Daniel's point, if I could real quickly, you know, you mentioned, a, I think, a really important part, which is the continual measurement and the agility, you know, with a lowercase a, um, around how it is that we develop these products. And any healthy design process is going to be iterative in its nature based on wisdom of users and the analysis associated with that. And our ability as designers, I think we've mastered this notion of being able to take in inputs and to pivot and, and uh, respond you know, to those inputs, fundamental part of the design process. And so, again, I think that enabling, you know, speed in and of itself relative to um, by engaging very closely in a healthy design process is pretty fundamental to what we're doing here. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, I assume that um, with your team, uh, from your design team's perspective, you guys are using probably a lot, of, a lot of feedback and data and analytics to drive out a lot of design initiatives you guys are doing? Yes, absolutely. And I think that we've, over the past year or so, Daniel, as we've made this pivot, we've invested more heavily in staffing and some of the rigor associated with the insights and feedback part so that um, we're both feeding the design effort and the iteration effort associated with that, but we're also socializing those efforts across the broader firm base so that we can empower others to understand better what our users are about. And so yeah. that's been a pretty pivotal move for us and something that I think is beginning to pay some dividend. That's something we've also been looking uh, heavily into in the last few years is our, our 
our data we're trying to pull in the the what we're trying to learn about our clients and how they behave with our site i go we're going into more of a, a data driven design solution where we do have uh designers on the teams and they're creating some excellent work and and they're driving out solutions based off of always there's a little bit of you know a, a gut check on what we believe our clients want but we're right. using the data we've gathered and the behaviors they've shown us as they engage with our properties to help drive out the solutions we're creating so one of the questions I have is I was talking to some of the senior folks at an insurance company sort of thinking about the early steps towards usage-based or demand-based insurance, which would be a big change in the pace of their business. And this was more on the technology side. And in it, they said that 40% of their budget was allocated to much more forward-thinking technology, which is the way they phrased it. And 60% was more just keeping the lights on, just sort of the status quo type stuff. And then we asked the question about human beings and emotion, which is how much emotional equity or human beings were tied to innovation and how much were tied to the prior way of doing business. And then they cut it by 10% of the humans were doing new things and 90% doing old things. And the 10%, 90% almost form two firms. You know, one's, one's living in tomorrow, one's living in today. Is that what happened here? Or has it already been that the early teams that you guys championed and led are now changing the firm sort of in its entirety. So from from a perspective on, on CIBCs, um, it has definitely been an initiative that um, is being pushed from upper management to go this route. Um, but it does start with a small group, to your point, the 10%. Um, you know, as, as, we've, as we've grown, we've been hiring and bringing on people with more of an agile, iterative mindset and approaching to how we deliver. And what we've run into is that as we work with our partners throughout CIBC, um, they're definitely our partners that are still in the more traditional mindset. Although there's a mandate down from our senior staff that we're going to change and go to in more of an agile model, it takes time for, for those sorts of behaviors to to permeate throughout the rest of the bank. Um, so it's really more of a, you start in one section one group and you grow outwards and you start you start bringing in partners to 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 embrace um the approach that you've taken and and expose them to it and hopefully they take that back and and work outwards throughout their teams we've also taken on approach as well that you know as we grow and people mature in their roles that um, people that have grown on the digital side actually move out into other areas of the bank and help take what they've learned from digital and help grow those sorts of behaviors and that sort of culture in the various other areas. It's an interesting point because you you can see sort of the execution of cultural change. You have a set of people that come to a a culture of the 2B. You hire to it or you, you get it. And they begin to influence the people they're engaging in. And then you send them out as, you know, evangelists into the firm and you begin the, the important process of changing the firm. Was that, was that an intention or is that just a good byproduct of the design? I think, I think from our end, it is intentional. I don't know if it was initially intentional, but we started seeing it happen and it is something we're embracing and encouraging at this point. I also assume that part of the evangelism here had to do with communication of results, like money talks, right? In terms of success of this isn't look how exciting they're doing things in a new way, but they're having some sort of meaningful impact on the business. Yeah, I think that's true. However, you know, I think that you know, we have a very similar story with, with Daniel said. I mean, 
we've actually gone so far as to, you know, we have an innovation team as part of our corporate strategy team, and they actually teach, you know, the discipline and the rigor of a structured innovation process. We have an underway now what we call an innovation agent program, and so we've got, you know, couple hundred folks across the firm who are being trained up on innovation methodology. And they are, as Daniel said, in various, you know, various functions across the firm. But I think, you know, it's interesting about the, you know, the money speaks, success speaks, but I think a really important part of the innovation culture is the permission to fail, right? And so I think it's very important that out of the gate, yes, celebrate those successes, but also celebrate those things where you've learned from explorations and experiments and so forth. So I think if we're not careful in how we, uh, you know, celebrate, reward, and, you know, structure these programs moving forward, it can kind of get back to that 90%, hey, this is the way we've always done it. I think we've always got to keep the firm thinking in a disruptive nature, and that requires experimentation, lots of experimentation and lots of failure. On that point... Have any of the experiments involved enabling employee experiences or employee technology to help folks actually do their jobs better or get closer to the customer? Yeah, we have a huge focus right now because the, the customer centricity transformation we have underway is kind of multifaceted. One significant piece of that is our service center experience. So there is a tremendous effort on both education, the discipline of frontline engagement with clients, and you know, helping folks be more comfortable having the conversations they need to have, providing the information they need to provide. And so it is not just a program focused on that end client. There's a lot of internal facing bits on there as well. What was implemented here recently um, was a whole uh, initiative with our strategy teams to, to string up what we're calling a discovery session. And what we're introducing now, and this is how we kind of push the model somewhat outside, is um, we have a team that is solely responsible for taking requests in from partners across the bank to solve for um initiatives that they want to explore so essentially you know uh, a partner comes in and they they want to they want to explore out a potential of introducing something um, a product that they wanted to to flesh out further they go into a two-week discovery session with our with our teams and by the time they come out of it it's a full week two-week dedicated group that just focuses it solely on this by the time those two weeks are, are done we've we fleshed out the audience that it's supposed to target we've got working prototypes we've done some user experience testing on the ideas and they have a much more fully formed solution and they've done it in a very agile manner and so we kicked that off about a year and a half ago and, and what we've seen is a constant increase in demand across the bank to want to be a part of these sessions now. So you guys are the cool guys in your respective companies. Well, you know what? Uh, I like to think so. I don't know if they say that, but <laughs> absolutely is the answer. <laughs> good, good man. So essentially what you're saying is you bring in other parties in the bank, you run them through a sprint, they swim in the waters for a bit, they go, these waters are okay. They're actually quite productive. I think I can take on some of these pieces and they go back and you serve as role model, teacher, and you sort of get them tooled up to begin bringing that back into their respective respective functions. Yeah, like, I mean, sometimes they can take it away and they can embrace some of those exercises themselves. And other times they just really enjoy the experience and continuously come back to work with us um, on an ongoing uh, way of, of solving for these things. So it, it's it's been actually an excellent experience on this end. 
Um, like I said, the demand for these sessions has been continuously going up. Um, it was, as I understand it, because this predated me slightly, a bit of an initiative to get this up and running and get our partners to buy in that they need to write themselves off of their day-to-day for two weeks and just dedicate themselves to this. But ultimately, what they're coming out with in, in, a, in the span of two weeks is something that would have previously taken six months. The stories you guys are telling are on the positive side of change. And probably on balance, there's more negative stories about change than positive could you guys sort of walk through how you confronted inertia? Anytime you introduce change of this manner, you you take, you know, what was traditionally done and we're referring to as waterfall. Um, you know, banks have operated like that for years and years. Anytime you you introduce a change of this magnitude in determining how people work, how they do their day-to-day, how they sit, um, who are they sitting with, um, how they interact with their colleagues how they report up to their managers. All of these things are, is what, what we've introduced in this change. Um, and it, is, it's, it can be challenging. You know, there's, there's people that, that will resist the change because it takes them out of their comfort zone. Um, and there's other people who embrace it and, and relish in change like this because they see potential opportunity. And really what it comes down to is communicate, communicate, communicate. You can't over-communicate this. You have to really represent what the benefits are, why this is a good opportunity for not only employee growth, but also driving better client experiences. Um, you know, there, there's so much opportunity with a change like this that comes that, that you need to really be able to emphasize that out to your employees and to your partners and really get them to embrace it. And it's not an easy thing to do. It does take time. It does take convincing. It does taking, take you know, people who are, um, are detractors and turning them into advocates Um, there's a big exercise around this whole thing and it's not a simple thing to do and there's no right one answer to give there. It's just a work in progress you have to stick with. You implied there that there was quite a bit of organizational change in terms of actual reporting structures. Did I, did I hear that right? Could you say more about it? So it's not so much an initial change in reporting structures as it is where you have a a traditional um, behaviors of employees relationship with their managers now you've asked those employees to work in an agile team an agile scrum team or a pod is what we refer to them as Um, they're now working with product owners and product consultants that they don't necessarily report into so now the relationship with their manager is slightly different where the manager would typically have been a part of their day-to-day work all the time overviewing uh, overseeing Uh, critiquing the work that's being produced, now they're actually working with their pods and we're empowering them to make decisions. We're empowering them to drive out the best client experience they can, working with the cross-discipline team that they have at at their ready. And so the role of how their relationship forms with their managers is very different. And it it, it takes a bit of an evolution for not only the employees but the managers to to really understand how these things have changed. Moving from hierarchical governance with silos into matrix management is a big deal. Uh, it, it flattens the organization. It creates sort of dot line sort of governance. It's, it requires a whole lot of mental agility and a di- very different way of thinking about who makes rules for whom. Was that a, like a, an explicit effort underway that was sitting astride this effort? It is an effort. Um, it is a big change. It was done intentionally. 
because we definitely wanted to empower our, our, our pods to be able to make decisions. But what we've realized throughout the course of this is that there is still some level of oversight you need from, so coming from a creative experience standpoint, um, some design leads and creative user experience leads that still need to be a part of the exercises that are produced by the pod. So we're now looking at um, approaching things um, through what we call community of practices, where we've get, um, we get, you know, if you say you have two user experience and visual designers on a pod, that are sitting with business analysts, with technology, with um, with key quality assurance, um, they're missing the opportunities to really be able to learn and expand with all the other user experience and creative people they would have been working with previously. So what we've introduced is community practices now that help bring these resources together to share the solutions that they create, to learn from one another, and to essentially make sure that what they're doing still has an alignment from a creative perspective. There's an interesting thing you said, which is most teams and hierarchies are like each other. They, they do relatively the same thing. They think relatively the same way. They get inputs and outputs relatively the same way. Then you form a team of different skills. And the first observation is everyone thinks everyone else thinks funny. And how, like, you're, that's a weird way of thinking and doing. So how did you get the teams to like, value the diversity of skill that you know, you're you're sort of almost building a a, com- a microcosm of a company and the team, and that could be a tough thing because really diversity of intellects, diversity of skills, you know, that whole bit. How, how did that happen? Well, it really it really starts with getting them to bond. So you know, a lot of the times these resources, these people, these employees don't know each other. They um, they've worked within only their user experience team or only their visual design team. And they've never really gotten the chance to know all the people that consume the work that they develop. So we, we started off by doing a series of social events, uh, team gatherings, just an opportunity to get the teams to bond, get more familiar with each other, get to know each other on a bit more of a personal level. And then as we started down this model and they're working these pods, um, organically, they would start now communicating because, you know, the user experience are handing off to the business analysts that are handing off to the technology groups. So they need to now, they, they have this opportunity sitting side by side to really cut that down on the back and forth that emails would normally generate and just turn to one another and ask each other questions. And I'm not going to pretend that we're, we're as far along as I'd like to be. Like, we're still in this transition, and this transition is going to take some time. But we're already seeing some dividends playing out and, and seeing that teams are starting to come together. They're starting to get more familiar with each other, and they're really starting to to get over those old um, silos of how they operated before and really starting to come together. And Chris, did you have a similar experience in terms of in forming these teams? It was a level of matrix management, and that was a new skill, a new way of thinking. And then you had the diversity of skill thing on the teams. Can you sort of walk through that from a – LPL financial standpoint? Sure. So when we first came in, you know, we, we've always found success in matricing ourselves out to the various product teams, right? And so I think it's essential, and Daniel makes a number of really, I think, excellent points relative to what's truly important here. I mean, you know, the old real estate mantra of location, 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 I mean, software and experiences is people, people, people. Right. Um, it is absolutely essential that the team of folks come together in a respectful way, bond, as Daniel said, and really, you know, work, you know, in, in a 
in an optimized fashion across those disciplines. And that's a really hard thing to do. Right? Software is easy. People are hard. I would fully agree with that. I resemble that remark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> when we first uh, came together on this, again, we, we farmed out our individuals and our team as fundamental pieces of, of other teams that were driving these initiatives. And the rest of the firm, you know, is beginning to move more in that direction as well. I mean, our product organization in its current state is only a few months old. And so it's, uh, you know, it's certainly a journey for us as well. But, you know, what, what I would say, if I could, you know, recommendation for folks out there who are similar challenges and so forth. One of the bits in hindsight that I think we could have done a better job on in making this transition is we came into that equation on the business side thinking, hey, these guys know what we do. It's obvious to them the value that we bring to these efforts. And so I think we underestimated the amount, to Daniel's point, communication that we did with our sister teams out of the gate. We had focused more on the product teams, generally the technology, other customers in the business, but not necessarily on those folks who were right there with us on the product team. And so we've moved in the last few months to make sure that we've got that shared alignment, that shared set of vision about where we're moving forward. And as that product effort has begun to form, to make sure we are building those essential relationships between researchers, designers, visual designers, et cetera, and the, the product folks. But that's a really important part, I think, of any you know, transformation. You know, to Daniel's point, communicate our experiences. You've got to make sure that that's not a one-and-done kind of thing. You've got to make sure you're constantly having those conversations around how to engage, how to stay aligned, make sure other folks have that skin in the game. So I just to add to that, uh, you know, although I may have said, you know, communication is the most important part here, that's not saying that we did it well. Um, you know, and, and this lesson for me around communicating came by doing it the wrong way, unfortunately. Um, you know, as we did this, we communicated out to, to the people involved in this change, and we really, truly underestimated how much communication we needed to do. And, and it quickly was apparent to us that, you know, although, you know, the people that were involved, I have two, two colleagues of mine that are part of this change with me. Um, as we've come together and worked with our other technology leaders and, and solutioned how we wanted to, to, to make this happen, we met with all of, our, uh, all of our employees that were going to be affected by this change directly, and we explained to them what was happening, and then we washed our hands of it and patted ourselves on the back and said, good job. But we didn't realize, you know, we may have understood this because we've been talking about this change for months, but having one session with them isn't quite enough. I'm exaggerating slightly here. But um, we realized really quickly that we, and we're still going through it, need to do deep dives with them, need to ensure that we're hearing their feedback. And, and frankly, we're at a point with this transition where we are now seeing ourselves as sponsors, and we want to get to the point where we're empowering the, the, the teams involved to actually uh, to encourage and evolve our transition in Agile to what they need it to be and less of what we think they should want. Um, so it really comes down to the people that are affected by it and allowing them to drive these changes now going forward. So two firms, two different sectors. I know you both part of our leadership board, CX Council. How did you guys come together? How did you find common bonds, common issues to start the collaboration process am among you? I think it started with me, Chris, didn't it? I think it may have been, Daniel. Yep. 
Yeah, I, I so I, I was uh, I was new to this council, and uh, part of my introduction was the opportunity to to have uh, Partner Connects, and so I said absolutely, I'm interested. And uh, then uh, my one of my very first ones, I believe, was with Chris, and so they set us up. We were um, definitely exploring this this change to go agile, and there was a lot of conversation on on my leadership side about what this would mean and what it would look like, and I thought it would be a great idea. To hear from somebody else who who's been going through it, and and so you guys were kind enough to, to meet us up together. And uh, frankly, uh, I think we've had a, a couple of really engaging conversations since then. Yeah, we hit it off pretty quickly. I mean, I, you know, and I yeah. think you know, what, what was interesting is that you know, as Daniel and I first started talking, it was apparent that we were both thinking about the change in a similar fashion, um, similar challenges that we had ahead of us, and so we pretty quickly were able to supplement each other's thinking around, uh, you know, techniques that have worked for us where we saw some failure on what we tried to do. And so yeah, that's been a really, I think, a valuable part of the leadership council has been able to connect with peers and have very frank discussions around the mechanics of something like this, right? Because you can't easily do that all the time, even with folks on the inside of your own company. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I found was uh, was the most rewarding part for me is um, not only getting kind of Chris's point of view on what they're doing and insights into some directions they were taking, but also it was really reassuring to know that the challenges we were facing were not our own. Like every right. people making these changes are all facing these challenges, and they're very real challenges. And um, to know that you aren't doing it alone, that there's other people out there fighting this battle with you, um, it was really reassuring to to understand that that you know this is a common thing and and you know you you get somebody to bounce off techniques on how to approach it together. So both of you are part of important change processes in your firm. You both took a leadership position. You're both past the early days, and you're sort of hitting your strides. So ask both of you, what's the big learning? from you that can get passed to the audience who themselves are either contemplating or the in early days of change. And I'll start with you, Daniel. Well, I, I, you know, I think, you know, there's been a theme in the, in this chat already today. Um, but really one thing you need to take away from this, um, is you have to make a change like this because you feel it's going to be right for your client. And when you make that change, you have to make sure you put your employees first. And you can't underestimate how much they're going to need your support. You can't underestimate how much you need to communicate to them. Because without them and without their buy-in and their, their participation and willingness to participate in this, you, it's going to be such a struggle to get off the ground. You need, you need them involved, and, and you, can't, you can't take them for granted. You have to, you have to get their engagement. So I think for me, um, the biggest learning out of this, as we talked about in the chat today, is really around teaming. Right? I'm a firm believer that happy teams make happy products. And that doesn't mean every relationship is perfect. There isn't going to be interesting and sometimes very passionate debate. But if I've learned anything 20 plus years doing this, watching the pendulum swing in a variety of different ways, it's when you get product design, product management, engineering together, in a respectful, bonded relationship as peers, you know, truly great things can really happen. And so as people are considering change generally and transformation as part of their organizational strategy, regardless of the methodology you're thinking about evolving towards, a focus on team is well spent. 
because those are the folks at the end of the day who are going to make the difference on the product. Daniel and Chris, thank you so much for your time today. Extremely enlightening. Thank you. My thank pleasure. You. Thank you. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And don't forget to leave us a review. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.